So I just want to catch up with where we were last week so I can bring you into this week. And it's, it's important because last week we talked about lordship. And I, I just want to give three quotes from last week. And uh, hopefully this isn't an indication that we're going long today. And I don't think it is. But I just... Uh, so lordship law number one last week was God is either Lord of all or He's not Lord at all. Right? And what that simply means is, well, he's Lord of most things. <laughs> you know, as we're going to find out today, God being Lord of the thing you don't want him to be Lord of sets you free. Because you have to be God of it, right? If you don't let God be God of it. Wow. Just keep thinking about that with me. Lordship law number two from last week was if Christ is the center of my life, the circumference will take care of itself. I'm always asking questions five blocks before we get there. See, And God says, put me in the center, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all the things. And how much have our lives been, been trifled by the things? And keeping Christ as, as center of it is, is again setting us free. And we're going to see that again today. And then uh, just uh, uh, the pastor of America, if not the pastor of the world, the late Billy Graham, his adage closed our service last week to what is lordship. And he says, your yearning for God must supersede all desires. It must be like a gnawing hunger and a burning thirst for Jesus. We can't do that if I'm hiding, if I under the shell, which, which thing do you not have as lordship from me, God? And I, and I kind of want him to know, but I don't want him to get his hands on it. You see where I'm going? Okay. So this morning, we talk about the lordship, the stewardship of lordship in our treasure, in our money. Tough subject. That reminds me about two guys, they got stranded on a deserted island. And they're out on this deserted island, and one guy is just panicked. He's gotten all the way around the island. There's no food, no water, no nothing. The other guy is propped up against the tree, just sitting there like he's on vacation. And the guy goes, you've got to be a, a little more assertive in this situation. We've got, we got a situation here in which we're stuck on this island. We're going to die out here. He goes, no, you don't understand. I, I work on, on, on Wall Street and I make $100,000 a week. And the guy says, and? He goes, no, no, you don't understand. I, I, I make, I, I make $100,000 a week. The guy goes, you've got to be crazy. None of that makes any sense out here. He goes, well, I'll tell you the rest of my story then. I make $100,000 a week. Um, I, I, I go faithfully to church every Sunday. I tithe 10% of that. My pastor is going to find me. I bring a light note. Thank you, Dick. I finally got you laughing back there. I just, I, you know, it... Sometimes it takes a while to get bounce off the back wall. Okay. The deal is finances is difficult. Okay, and it's difficult for uh, why finance financial stewardship is difficult. It's difficult for three reasons, and you can visit any uh, uh, church nursery, preschool, or daycare, and you'll find this out. 
from a very young age, we've learned three things that fight against stewardship. And they are, take care of number one, do it yourself, and don't let anyone take what is yours. From a very young age, these things are instilled in us and they mitigate against the Lordship of Jesus. We talk about a spiritual warfare. The spiritual warfare is right there. I, just, I hope that some kid isn't clobbering another kid in the nursery right now because you got my toy! Right? So, I'll just make this very personal. Uh, a couple of years ago, we were traveling with our oldest granddaughter. Uh, her name is Violet. And she's just wonderful. We love her. She loves us. Uh, but we found out a few things after we spent you know, almost 10 days together. But the, the whole thing started with, you know, we picked her up at the house, we got to go out to dinner and then go to the airport and we're on our way. And so we were at, uh, at uh, Violet and my favorite restaurant in all the world, uh, In-N-Out Burger. And, you're right, yeah. Always, yeah. There's always one wherever you're going, except in Ethiopia, but that's another story. So we're at In-N-Out Burger and we're getting to it done with the end of our meal. And uh, I just reach over and lift a French fry off of her plate. Now, uh, she's almost preteen, but, but I, I, I noticed that there was just a bit of a, she adds a bit of shrill to her voice and a little bit of volume and says, Pop, Pop, you took my fry! Now, the whole room went silent and I'm looking at all these faces somehow as if I had committed fast food abuse or something, and, and they're just looking at me, and I'm about ready to say something, when all of a sudden, I get this sense of, just observe what has happened, Jeff. So I sit there silently, and, and I, I came up with three observations, and I think yours says four, but we're running out of time, three spiritual lessons. Violet did not know the source of her french fries. Now she saw me pay the price for her fries. That wallet came in and out of my pocket and I brought that box over to our table. But somewhere in between, they became her fries. And, 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 and that, boom! <laughs> Those are my fries! The second thing I observed is that she did not realize that I could take that wallet out again and go to the counter and come back and bury her in French fries. She had no sense of not only the source, but the power that she was sitting with. And finally, she had no concept that by the same power and source, I didn't need a single one of her French fries. Some spiritual lessons. We're still in the introduction, but this is, it, it, trust me, this is going to work. We have all come to a place where we have worldly blind spots, even as believers, that we fail to recognize and see that God is our true source of everything. We have also come to a false sense of of who's in control, and who owns what. 
Who is in control of the world? And who owns all of your stuff? We're going to talk about that later. So this failed recognition, this false control, leads to a place of fear over freedom. Because we've usurped God's power. And so we have to be God as unto ourselves and likely other people in our family or friends or neighbors or people who don't like us or whom we don't like. Because we've taken that mantle to ourselves. And the minute we take something that is God's unto ourselves, fear begins to fill our lives and we start thinking scarcity. I better be very careful how I control these things, we start saying. But if it's all God's, if my checkbook is God's checkbook, I'm writing out of abundance. Amen? Because right? God owns... I, I had this beautiful uh, Sunday morning, this beautiful drive up the hill. And I see those cattle. And, and I see uh, God's Word say that, that God owns the cattle on all the hills. When those, when those grapes in those vineyards as I drive through Murphy's and just below Murphy's, God owns every single grape and personally sweetens it to sit on someone's table or to fill someone's glass. That's our God. He's abundant. He's full. And when we usurp His power, we have no place to go but fear. And this is Jesus' word to us before we even start the sermon, right? Luke 12, 32. Do not be afraid, little flock. Your Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. Where no thief comes near. No moth destroys. And then check out this verse. And it's quite backwards from the way we interpret it. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How many times have you told yourself or thought to yourself, well, if my heart's right, it's okay. Jesus says, no. Your treasure determines your heart. What you do, not what you intend. Where you go, not your excuse for going there. What you say, not your sorrow for having said it to yourself, but not apologizing in person. You see, all of that counts when we start becoming the voice of God instead of letting God be God. So this morning, what I want to talk about is um, three passages out of the Corinthian correspondence. Now, Scholars tell us today, even though we only have a 1st and 2nd Corinthians, that there could have been at least four letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. And, and you know the, 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 the top side and the low side of this. The low side is the Corinthians were Christian knuckleheads. They gave Paul a bad time. They didn't get things. And so what Paul had to do was teach them precisely. Every one of the problems in Corinthians is like on the high level of problems in our culture today. Have you ever you figured that out, right? 
Everything that Paul was saying 2,000 years ago to the Corinthians is a mass in our culture and is streaming into our churches. So we're blessed. We have this book to read. And we can understand it as something that will tell us who we need to be and where we need to go. So from there, we're just going to pay attention to a model, an example, and a word of encouragement on this whole thing about our financial stewardship. I hope you're with me as we'll just kind of pick up the pace a little bit. So the model begins with 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. And he says this, by way of introduction, And now about the collection for God's people. Do what I have told the Galatian churches to do. So Paul is saying this, and the Galatian churches, which would have been almost all of Turkey, or at least northern Turkey, what's going on here is Paul saying, here's how you deal, here's a model for dealing with the money thing in your life while Jesus is Lord. Okay? Verse 2 On the first day of the week. <laughs> what? What? Well, on the, what, what do we do on the first day of the week? Don't, don't tell me you go to work, please. Okay? You're worshiping, right? We're worshiping. We're here! This is the first day of the week! Woo! We get to do this. Okay? On the first day of the week, Paul's model says, connect your money to your worship. See, a lot of churches, I, I, in fact, I was called to a church where they were really frightened with the whole money thing. In fact, they, they barely started an offering by the time I got to the church. They just had a plate in the back. You know, if you want to give to God, we, we don't want to offend anyone, just put it in that plate. I said, oh, 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 no, oh no, 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 no. We're going we're gonna to celebrate the offering. And you're going to get to know the God who gives it to you to give it away back to Him. And they lost their, their ongoing indebtedness and their inability to, to not pay their bills. On the first day of the week, money. It, 1 Timothy 6.10 doesn't say money is the root of all evil, as I've heard people quote. It says the love of money. So the love of Jesus lets you on the first day of the week do what's right, not do what's left. A lot of, a lot of people don't do what's right with their money. They, 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 they do with it what's, what's left over. And he says, you connect this to worship and you've got this. The, the next part of, of, of verse 2 says this, each one of you should set aside a, son of, a sum of money in keeping with his or her income. Interesting. So he says, well, by the way, while you're in worship, why don't you connect your finances to how much you make instead of how you feel or what you think they deserve or any of those kinds of things. So if you go back in your Bible, I'll just give you a few references to work with. You'll find that, that Abraham learned this in Genesis 14.20 that Moses also learned this and taught it in Deuteronomy 12.6, that, of course, Malachi, everyone brings that passage out this time of year in the prophets. Jesus affirms the tithe, and Hebrews uses the word tithe in kind of an odd way, but affirms the fact that, that taking 10% of your income is a starting point. And, and, and why is that? 
It's simple. It's, it, it, it's a dime for every dollar. That means anyone can contribute at the level that God calls them to. They don't have to wait till they have enough. Whatever theirs is, is enough. And that's all God wants. It's not about amount. It's about lordship. I was teaching a membership class one day, and this is one of those trick questions pastors learn how to ask. And some in the class got it, some didn't. Some of you may have it, some may not. But I said, um, if I'm tithing 10%, this is kind of like the first day of the week question, so just hang in there. If I'm tithing 10% and I do a small job and I get $100 for that job, how much of the money is God's? Yeah, all of it. But most, boom, a bunch of hands really quick, 10%. No, it's all God's. What a blessing our Heavenly Father is that it's all God's. And He says, I want you to take 90% of what I give you. Take care of yourself, your family. Get Get a vacation. Do some things that you need to do. But I want you to be challenged by taking 10% of your income so you have to depend upon me. And just drop that in the bucket. And let me be Lord of your life. The last part of this is also really important. The last part of the model is it's not only our, our, our finances are not only attached to worship and, and, and to to the tithe of 10%. They're, they're also part of this model. The third part is that it should be done freely. Notice what he says. Saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Um, Marilyn's had this happen to her. I've had it happen to me. Pastors get this. You walk up to a group of people talking and they all stop talking. Right? I don't know what the conversation was, but I, I, I can make some guesses if I you know, grew horns a little bit and thought about them, but I just let it go. Paul knew that he had a certain kind of power and, and, and impression upon people that if they were not doing this on a day-by-day basis and they just waited for him to come, then people would lose the freedom of the lordship of Jesus and become compelled because we better give now. Pastor just walked in the room. We better straighten up now. This is Gail's neighborhood. The teacher just got here. Diane. The the highway patrols parked on the side of the road. And and I think I'll hit the brake, you know, before I see red and blue lights. Right? We all think like this. There's nothing... There's nothing intuitively wrong with that, but we we get to change our thinking. Our, Our minds are no longer conformed to the world, but transformed, right? So so we think like this, that's natural, but God wants us to think supernatural. I I love Dennis the Menace. Him him and his family are coming out of church, and and the cartoon shows him, he's he's pulling on the pastor's uh, robe, and and, and finally the pastor looks down and he goes, hey pastor, what are you going to do with the dollar my dad put in the offering plate? Right? Paul says, in no way do I want to compel people to have to do that. The 
plan should be about freedom and release and joy and hope. So here's some examples. Paul, and just flip over your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 8, 1-5. through And here we see to the Corinthian church, he's already mentioned all the Galatian churches. Now, here's an example from the Macedonian churches. So, on, on either side of, of, um, of Corinth, and now to the Greek churches, he gives us a list of seven things that they did. It says, Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. And I just love that. He's going to tell about how they give, but he says it this way, I want you to hear the good news, the grace, the freedom they have because they obey God down to the T. I want us to hear that too today. First, they gave sacrificially. Look look what it says there in verse 2. Out of the most severe trial... And then it says, and poverty is how they gave. They were in severe trial and severe poverty, and they gave sacrificially. I'm reminded of the story of a pastor who was writing a wealthy man in his community, and it kind of goes like this. A clergyman wrote a wealthy, influential business leader requesting a contribution to a worthy charity. In due course, he received a cryptic refusal from the wealthy man. He writes, as far as I can determine, this Christian business is nothing but one continuous give, give, give. To which the clergy lost no time in responding and said, please accept my thanks for the best definition of the Christian life I have yet heard. And by the way, or P.S., no one on this earth can ever outgive God. Anything that we could account to a sacrifice turns into blessing for us if we see it the right way. They gave joyfully. Um, in verse 2, overflowing with joy and welling up in rich generosity. Those two passages are mixed together. In great joy. So they had gratitude. And anytime you have gratitude, it turns into generosity. And the minute you start becoming generous, you become joyful. So gratitude, thankfulness, turns into generosity right out of the heart. Not from compelling. And then it turns to joy. There was a woman talking to the pastor after church. And she said to the pastor, I know God loves a cheerful giver, but pastor, my Bob is living proof that God will also receive from a grouch. You know what's funny and sad about that is God will receive from a grouch, but the grouch has never changed. What would be the use of giving to God that is supposed to be the seedbed, the wellspring of our joy, if we just do it I did it. And there's no joy. They gave sacrificially. They gave joyfully. They gave supernaturally. The beautiful thing about tithing is everyone can do it and and nobody misses out. But here's the key. Listen to this. 
The first is a definition of natural giving. The second is a definition of supernatural giving. Too many adjust their standard of giving to their standard of living. That's natural giving. You know, I, honey, I think we can only give this much this week. You know, instead of God's standard, they're adjusting it. Whereas, if we seek Christ first, His Lordship, you will adjust your standard of living to your standard of giving because God's first. It's a remarkable principle. It's so remarkable that there's even this thing called the health and wealth gospel. They've taken something wonderful like this and they've made it rather uh, tawdry to get people to give. They've said, you can be free, but, 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 but I'm going to manipulate you. So this isn't health and wealth gospel. This is God saying, whenever I'm in the ascendant, wherever I am in charge of your life, so come the blessings of, of my promise. Uh, for, for the Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Wow. Sacrificially, joyfully, supernaturally, they gave willingly. They gave from their hearts. By faith. This was neither a requirement, a law, or a rule. It was a way of living that would set people free. It says also, for they testified that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. Wow. It goes on to say, for. Lost my place. It goes on to say, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. Think about that for a minute. These folks that were really kind of under it urgently said, we want to be a part of the game. They were, they were becoming believers in the fact that their eager giving would reflect what Jesus said in the book of Acts 20.35. You didn't know there was a quote of Jesus that late into the New Testament. It's there. And this is where Jesus says, it is more blessed to give than receive. The giving is the blessing. Number six. They gave unexpectedly. Their giving was so over the top that it surprised everyone. And it says, and they did not do as we expected. Verse 5. You remember the story of Queen Esther? If you've been in the Old Testament, you know that story. She was kind of picked out as the Jewish people, her uncle Mordecai. And then the, the, the whole country got slammed with a, we're, we're going we're gonna to decimate the Jews. And she was queen, but the king didn't know she was Jewish. And it was her time to stand up and say, I, I, I'm that girl. If that so goes that, then that so goes my people and so goes me. And she said this, the, the quote that everyone remembers from the book of Esther, if I perish, I perish. She kind of said, so what? I'll tell you, in our day and age, giving that is unexpected is ordinary believers saying yes to an extraordinary God. When we say yes to what God wants us to do, and we jump on board with that, 
all of a sudden, unexpected giving brings beautiful surprises. And finally, verse, uh, the end of verse 5, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, then in keeping with God's will. So they gave personally. They, gave, they, they understood the key to stewardship is they gave themselves to a relationship to God. Then they gave themselves to their church. Then they gave themselves and all they had. No restrictions. No regrets. No resentments. What God had called them to give. And we keep reading here again and again that they were blessed. The encouraging word from 2 Corinthians 9, which is just the next chapter, just look over across the page, and remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, whoever sows generously will reap generously, for each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. It was, Lord, it was the Lord Jesus Himself that said, by the measure you give, the measure you will receive. Isn't that amazing? If we want... Huge blessings. If, if we want to see this ministry grow, if we want to, uh, a continual outreach to, to, to families and their children, if we want to touch the hearts of people up here on the mountain, then it's going to be about cheerful, unreluctant giving from the heart. Two questions for you this morning. The first is this. How are you sowing? Is it sparsely or generously? How are you sowing? Kind of as a, as, as a final illustration this morning, I would offer this to you. That God wants us to be more like rivers than reservoirs. Reservoirs kind of block the way and stack it all up and, and, and they're, they're still... They're, they're, they're backed up. They're on reserve. Uh, we've, got a, we've got a reservoir down by us in, in Valley Springs. It's water for San Francisco. So, so people aren't even allowed to swim in it. You know, Very little recreational use on that river. And, and on, that, on that lake. And, and, and that's how our lives come. We, we, be, we, we become fear-filled. And we're on reserve. And we're waiting for we don't know what and when or where, but we better hold on to it rather than let it go. But you see, a, a Christian river is giving and receiving all the time. It stays fresh. It has water life. It, it serves the community by, by means of transportation because there's a current. It offers food to the community, fresh water for drinking and growing of plants. All of these things. And this is what God's calling us to. I've been kind of surprised to discover this week through, a, through another quote that I've kind of paraphrased here. God doesn't so much want things from you and I. 
God truly wants for you and I. And the way to get from, oh, from, you know, I guess if I have to, to for, is to understand what makes us children of the Heavenly Father. Is that the Heavenly Father is, is, is our source and our power, our giver, our redeemer, and doing all things for us in the way that we, we need to be as His people. I'd encourage you this morning to be thinking as we get closer and closer to the end of the month and further and further into the next year. To really think about where you're at with these issues. Not only of the Lordship, but now uh, treasure. Next week we'll talk about time. Marilyn will be talking about testimony the next week. And then we'll spend all of February talking about our talents. We're going to lay the spiritual gifts, every single one of them, against the fruits of the Spirit. Knowing that you can't do the gifts of the Spirit in a godly way without growing in the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to put those together. So by the end of the month, if you, if, if you have desired to know what your spiritual gift is and you want to put it into action here at chapel, you'll be able to do that. That's what we're going to do together. First things first is to think about our treasure this morning and to work with that.